Hello, everyone. I'm Marco Nunziata of Annunziata and Desai Advisors. And I'm Michael Leifman of Tenley Consulting. And this is Macro, Micro, Michael, Marco, and Startups at the Edge, the podcast about startups with technology that changes how the economy functions. Welcome back, and thanks for being curious. So let's get going. Matt Sanchez, founder and CTO of Cognitive Scale. Welcome to M4Edge. Thank you. Glad to be here. So Matt, as you know, our show explores the micro and macro aspects of technologies that are changing our lives and our economy. And we focus on those changes that feel especially urgent, given what is going on around us. With you today, we want to focus on finance and credit conditions. Before we get started, a few facts and stats to help us set the stage. And here it's over to The Economist. For over a decade, between 2009 and 2020, we had lived in a world where inflation was low, interest rates were extremely low, and liquidity was abundant. For both individuals and companies, getting credit was very easy. It was kind of like Lake Wobegon. All companies looked above average. Then things changed. Inflation jumped from less than 2% to more than 8% in the U.S. The Federal Reserve raised short-term interest rates from about 0 to about 4%. And it's not done yet. Over the last 12 months... We're now in end of November as we're recording this of 2022. Um, for the last 12 months, 30-year mortgage rates jumped from about 3% to 7%. And banks and other financial institutions are becoming a lot more careful in how much money they lend and who they lend to. And life for borrowers has become a lot harder and more expensive. And with that as the background, arrives Cognitive Scale, your company, which specializes in artificial intelligence solutions, one of which, called TrustStar, seems especially well-placed for this moment. So. So, Matt, we want to discuss TrustStar, but can you first give us some context for our audience and spend a bit of time talking about what Cognitive Scale is and what it does, and in particular, what your Cortex AI platform is? Absolutely. So just a quick background, I started Cognitive Scale in 2013. Before that, I was at IBM for about seven years. Um, and the last three years of my career at IBM, I led the Watson Labs team, which was the commercialization unit around the IBM Watson technology. So really the first group taking the research project that was IBM Watson in 2011 and creating commercial solutions with it in the marketplace. And uh, that was a great experience, learned a lot about what we now call AI in the enterprise, but back then we didn't even call it that because AI was somewhat of a old term. Nobody really used it. They called it other things. IBM came up with a new term called cognitive computing, but ultimately AI became the term everybody started using again. And now we are, here we are today and AI is really everywhere. And in the enterprise context, AI has seen a huge resurgence in the last decade. And so uh, cognitive scale was formed to help enterprise customers generate value, generate lasting business value using AI. And we do that through helping them with a platform and a set of tools in a space we call AI engineering. So being able to apply the right engineering principles around building AI systems, deploying those systems, monitoring the business value that they generate, and being able to do that at scale. So using the resources they have within the enterprise IT landscape to be able to participate in that. We look at AI as a multi-role team sport in the enterprise. And there's really been no playbook for how that team operates. And uh, AI engineering really is about creating that playbook and allowing all of those roles to participate 
and to drive efficiencies of scale around building AI systems. And there's many facets to that problem, including how you compose different types of models and data, how you govern a system like that, because it is so dependent on data and maybe probabilistic models and other other elements that are foreign to the typical IT environment. And there are, uh, you know, the need to align to the business. So we call the business observability of AI. How do we make sure that people understand if it's generating value or not? Uh, and what does that look like? And how do you calculate it? So Cognitive Scale is a platform of Cortex AI platform that is designed for customers to build, to use, apply those AI engineering principles and to build AI systems. We also have, uh, over the years, our focus early days of Cognitive Scale, our philosophy really always was lead with an application area and a vertical and then differentiate ourselves with our platform capabilities. And so we started in the healthcare space and really looking at applications like care management and other areas where AI we thought was really a good opportunity to apply AI. And over time, we decided that we also wanted to have our own applications, Truststar being an example of that, where we saw an opportunity in the mortgage space in the US in particular about a year and a half ago, where we saw that customers, buyers of homes, as well as the the loan officers and the real estate agents, a lot of the participants, when you think about home buying, there's a lot of data out there. There's a lot of websites you can go to and search for things. There's a lot of information that's opaque as well to these different actors. We wanted to make that all simple, particularly for uh, the sell side of this with, with loan officers and lenders, being able to identify quickly the referral network that's going to help them identify qualified buyers, connect those buyers to the lenders, and really drive a lot of streamlined insight in that space without the end user having to deploy an AI platform or build their own data science team or find their own data. What we saw for with Truststar was really, how do you do this in a way that, you know, within a couple of clicks in a simple application, you can find that next referral partner if you're a lender that you need to go work with to to identify new buyers. So we brought together, we used our own platform to do this, of course. And within a relatively short amount of time, we brought this to market as a pure SaaS application that is directly sold to the end user, in this case, loan officers. And we have other things we're doing with it as well, but that's where we started with Truststar. So we introduced that into our business model last year, uh, sorry, earlier this year. But you know that's relatively new in, in the journey, and it's been really exciting to see the uptake of of it. And um, it's a way for you know real end business users to get the advantages of this AI technology without having to do any of the AI work essentially that's required, and to do that introduce that into the market quickly. And that's how we that's how we thought about Truststar. So different way to monetize our technology, but something we're really excited about. So that was very useful. Thanks. It seems like what you initially recognized or what you initially hypothesized as the value proposition was facilitating, if I got this right, facilitating lenders finding new loan applicants. On the website from the material we've read, it seems like Trustart does a few other things. It has some help with affordability index and from risk reduction and a few other things. Can you tell us a little bit about what Trustar does. It seems like it's got these additional features. And I'm, I'm curious, in addition, are those things newer or was that part of your original hypothesis of how you could help? Great question. So our original hypothesis was very simple. What is it that a lender needs that they don't have access to today? Or if they have access to, they haven't been able to bring it together with a bunch of other data to find the insights that are going to help uh, improve their business, find buyers essentially in the market. And um, 
as we evolved that vision, we started to realize that there was a bunch of other challenges. Like, for example, which loan officers should I be hiring to help me improve that business? What kind of compliance issues do I have? And can I get ahead of those faster and easier? A lot of every lender has to deal with fair lending compliance challenges, but it's typically done on an annual basis. It's somewhat done in, in hindsight. Um, we've heard a lot of lenders want to think about it more in a real-time basis. Can we do that? It's kind of expensive to do that analysis. And again, it's something we can do very easily, really with uh, with very little effort with the data that we had. And so we basically said, look, we have to pull together a lot of data to make this work. We can't ask our customers to have it, to pull it together. They don't have it. So we've done that as well. And as we built this uh, set of data in the space, which includes loan information and includes real estate information, you know, for example, we have what we call profiles, entity profiles, around 21 million properties in the United States, 2 million real estate agents, probably about 600,000 real estate offices, every single lender and every single loan officer in the United States. We have data on all of this. And what we've been able to do is create a high fidelity data model using the Cortex technology and something we call Profile of One, where we can link across these different data sets. And so if you're if you're basically, um, let's say you're a hiring manager at a bank and you want to figure out who, do I, who should I hire, I want to answer a bunch of different questions. I want to know where, what loan officers are in the regions that I want to go after. What areas should I be going after to identify talent and to bring them into my organization? Where are the buyers today? Do those loan officers have those buyers? Are they bringing new buyers, new purchase business into the bank? All of these questions they have to answer. And it takes a lot of work and it's a lot of guesswork in today's market, as it turns out. That is probably one of the most important questions that the lenders are trying to find, try to answer. Because if you think about the market and how fast it's changed a year ago today, if we were sitting here talking about this, this would be still an important problem. But if you look back in the past year, refinance because of the low interest rates was the name of the game. Most of the lenders did tremendous business in 2021, 2020 because of refinance. Well, now it's all changed and it's changed faster than it's ever changed in the industry with the interest rate increase and the spike. Couple that with the year over year increases in housing prices and of course, other inflationary pressures. It's a very different market. It's, it's probably one of the most rapid changes in a market we've seen in a long time, especially in the mortgage market. And so now the key problem is how do I find those buyers? How do I find the qualified buyers? Where are they? And who's aligned to those buyers? Which which loan officers are there? Which realtors are there? Where are those opportunities? So your question about affordability. Affordability is an important component of something we call the loan officer opportunity score in our system. Think about affordability as one of the components. I want to know where there are affordable housing. Where is affordable housing? And when we say affordable, we're talking about conforming loan limits. We're talking about where conventional mortgages are available, which just changed yesterday and and, um, is changing actually, changes quite often actually in various ways. And it's regionally, it's really specific to different regions, right? So the conforming loan limit in the U.S. Virgin Islands is different than the conforming loan limit in Texas. And so you have to understand all of these dimensions, and then you have to be able to present a view to a loan officer that says, here's where your opportunity is today. Here's where, where there's affordable homes, there's lots of supply, there's good buyer demand, and make that very simple to them. It has to be very easy for them to understand. We can't show them a bunch of statistics and numbers and charts. They want to just see a heat map, a simple heat map that says it's this county is very affordable. It's got a lot of supply and you don't have any competition here right now. This is where you should be digging. All right. Here's the top five realtors that are trending in that particular area. This is who you should be talking to right now. That's um, 
you know, essentially what Trustar does for the loan officer. That's one, one example. So we use all that information to surface exactly an actionable insight that gives them value immediately. That's a very clear exposition, Matt, of the value that you bring to your customers, the loan officers in particular. Now, a clarification for our audience. When Michael was saying something changed yesterday, Michael, you were referring to the increase in the size limit for mortgages eligible for backstop from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, exactly, for mortgages, exactly, which happened yesterday, exactly. And uh, Matt, uh, Matt, you've talked about buyers and the importance of buyers in these two-sided markets. So... Can you tell us how does Trust Star in the end help borrowers? Because presumably to generate more business for your loan officer clients, some additional value must be offered to borrowers as well. Yeah. So typically a borrower, you know, I think about it in my own experiences. You know, you're buying a home, you're working with your realtor. And unless you have a preferred lender in mind, you're looking for referrals. Right. You're looking for it, you know, how who's a good lender? And you may ask your, you know, your social network, your friend network. You may ask your realtor, which a lot of people do. Do you have some recommended lenders you want us that you work with? Uh, who would you work? That's the referral business. And that is really what drives a lot of the industry is referrals. If you're a lender, it's business from your existing clients that you've worked with in the past. And it's referrals you get from realtors and other partners in the network. So we came at it from a different angle. Instead of going after the buyer side, which there's a lot of tools out there to help buyers today in the market. Think of Redfin, Zillow, any tools like that. All, all sorts of tools that are out there for buyers to understand the real estate market. And even tools to help them understand loans, like who are the lenders. We came at it from the other direction, which is we said, if we can build higher quality referral networks, we can help our lenders build those referral networks. We could also eventually provide realtors the same view of that information and ultimately go after the entire ecosystem. But we came at it from the lender side. And so we think if those the, the higher quality of those referral networks, the better it is for everybody. You're getting realtors who have a better understanding of which lenders they can work with. Lenders get a better understanding of which realtors have buyers that match the profile that they need from a product perspective in terms of the products they offer. And so it makes the whole network more efficient. It's just that today we're working on it from the lender side. We could eventually work at it from the buyer side. We've talked about that. It's a different animal, right? Going and uh, working with buyers. And uh, what we've, instead of instead of going after that directly, and the one thing we've learned about the property tech space in general is it's a very rich ecosystem of different uh, products and technologies. And we are working within that ecosystem, partnering with others who perhaps have connectivity into the other parts of the network that we're not focused on. So our strategy right now is to enhance those other ecosystem partners and what they do with what Trustar has. And that gives us a broader reach. So our strategy is, is to stay focused in our swim lane, <laughs> but then to have a reach, a network effect as we go out into the ecosystem working with other partners. Yeah, no, that's great. I think having that network effect, it addresses a little bit of this next question I have, which is around fairness in lending. I'm going to combine a couple questions here. One of the elements of fairness in lending has to do with bias in lending. And there've, there's been a lot of discussion in the last few years as algorithmic lending scores have popped up. And the concern has been that we've, we are basically encoding human biases into hard to decipher algorithms and where you might, once might have more easily found an existence of bias. It's harder to determine that because of the, quote, black box effect of some of the algorithms. So how do you address that issue within Trustor? How do you 
ensure fairness in the algorithms? How do you ensure against or protect against bias? Well, there's multiple things in your question I'll point out. One is you mentioned something important, which is human bias. And when you think about making a decision like a lending decision, at the end of the day, if you're the buyer, you're the one on the other end of that decision, it doesn't matter that it was a human or a machine. If you were treated unfairly, you know, you're unhappy and you want to know why you were treated unfairly. So that, that has to be addressed uniformly. Meaning if we want to address fairness issues, we have to look at the entire system, whether it's algorithms, people, some combination of both. Uh, we have to address all of it and we need transparency and, and explainability in that system to be able to address that. So we've taken an approach of really providing that. One of our technologies, we have uh, something called Certify, which essentially looks at fairness within these different algorithms. We can measure it in terms of what we call burden. So if you are, depending on how you define different protected groups of individuals, can you show that one group has a much harder time getting a fair decision or the optimal decision versus another group? And how do you measure that over time? So we have technologies like that that we use to apply to different algorithms. But ultimately, the algorithmic assessment is only one ingredient. It actually then has to bubble up into something that is interpretable by the regulators and legally accurate as well. Uh, and there are very, very well-established standards for fair lending where they do analysis of uh, lending decisions. Again, independent of whether they're algorithmic decisions or human decisions or combination of both, they have a way of, of analyzing that. And so we use a combination of our own technology as well as some new functionality we've created to be able to generate those analyses, those reports, and to do so on a real-time basis. And I mentioned that earlier because a lot of times that's a, it's more like an audit process where at the end of the year, you provide all this information to a third party. They come back a couple months later with a report and it's expensive and it's um, somewhat, I would say, a cumbersome process. We wanted to make that much simpler. And with the data that we have, we can make it instantaneous. And that's that's where we think providing that additional transparency adds a lot of value to the system as well. But our our point of view is that, you know, in the way that we think about AI systems, this comes from our building AI systems for the last many years, is that you have to start with trust and transparency built in from the beginning. That has to be part of your development process. That has to be part of your infrastructure and your release process. It has to be as if central to your development process as security scanning or any other aspect of it that you think is key for quality software development. When you're dealing with AI, you have to incorporate trust scanning, as we like to think of it, into the system as well. And so that's part of our development process internally. But we also think, you know, from a trust our perspective, providing some of these tools out of the box and these views, it's value added and it's and it certainly it helps the whole ecosystem. That is excellent. One last question before we let you go, and it's the following. How do you see the lending and the mortgage market changing in the coming three to five years, thanks to technology like yours? And in particular, one thought that comes to my mind, do you think that innovations like yours can help established lenders and loan officers contend with the challenge coming from new fintech companies? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the next several years, we're going to see interest rates stabilize around something that's probably historically still relatively low, but higher than it has been in the previous four or five years. I don't think housing prices, in my view, are going to drop substantially. I think they may ease off in certain markets. They'll continue to be strong in other markets. So that's not going to change. I think the conforming loan limits being adjusted to the extent that they were recently is an acknowledgement of that um, in some sense. Uh, that you know some of these increases are here. So you're still going to have a market that's got, it's kind of an interesting market. It's got very tight supply still. 
and the demand has de- decreased as interest rate, you know, almost exactly as interest rates have gone up, the demand has also go down. That's not going to last forever. That's not the way the housing market has ever worked. It will stabilize over, but it may take a while. It may take a couple more years for us to get to back to a, some sort of steady state where interest rates sort of stabilize and the prices stabilize and the market starts to provide, you know, have the right kind of dynamics to it again. But it's going to be a difficult, challenging housing market, at least for the next couple of years. In my view, I'm not an economist. That's just what I see in the data and what I'm hearing from others. But <laughs> that's kind of how I see it. Truststar is going to help and tools like Truststar are going to help because as we've talked to loan officers, they don't have the time. I mean, they want to spend time with clients. They want to spend time working and finding and closing business. They don't have the time to even research the kinds of things that Truststar provides to them. Um, we wanted to set out to provide that level of insight to the end user without having to go through any war- extra work, make it very simple, make it very actionable. The more actionable we get in this space, the more efficient it can be for everybody. There's just too much guesswork involved and too much work in general involved, technical work involved to bring all the information together and get to that that insight. And so our vision has been to provide that on-demand in a very simple way for the end user so that we can make that entire system more efficient and and a better experience for everybody involved. With Trustar, there's actually, we have maybe another half a dozen modules we have in mind that will, in the future, that will address different aspects of this. So stay tuned for that, more to come. But we think there's a huge potential here for for more more Trustar-like things in the mortgage industry and potentially other industries. I'll just leave it there. Sounds exciting. We'll have to have you back once those new uh, products are out. Absolutely. Matt, we'll let you go. Matt Sanchez of Cognitive Scale, thank you so much for joining us. Sounds like really interesting technology. So thank you for, uh, for explaining some of it to us. Thanks very much, Matt. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, which we hope you did, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast. Also, try sharing with a friend. Post it on social media. Help us spread the word. Find other listeners who are curious like you. Thanks. Thanks.